People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. Fine Music Radio, and this is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. And we're going to be talking about birds and bird watching today. A fascinating subject, a fascinating hobby, and many people are involved in this. And BirdLife South Africa, formerly the South African Ornithological Society, is the South African national partner organization of BirdLife International. It has a membership of 5,000 many of whom belong to more than 40 affiliated bird clubs. And BirdLife South Africa's vision is to promote the enjoyment, understanding, study and conservation of wild birds and their habitats. It publishes an ornithological journal called Ostrich, covering the birds of Africa and its islands, as well as the magazine African Bird Life. They're involved in all sorts of projects. I have with me the CEO of Bird Life South Africa, Mark Anderson. And Mark, welcome. Welcome to Cape Town and to the studio. Thanks, Rodney. An absolute pleasure. I'd like to find out, says here, formerly the South African Ornithological Society, tell me just about bird life South Africa. If someone said to you, as I'm going to say to you now, what does it mean? What does it do? Our responsibility is to conserve South Africa's birds and their habitats. Our work is bird conservation. Originally, Ornithological Society, because ornithology is the study of birds. Mm. But in 1996, we became BirdLife South Africa, and now our focus is entirely on conserving South Africa's birds. So the bird watching part is like the, the fun hobby part, but you as an organization have, as I said, a number of projects to do with conservation. That's right. But bird watchers also assist us um, in achieving our goals because many of them are citizen scientists. They actually collect data, which is important in our decision making. Oh. So, and, and many are also involved in conservation projects. And of course, the, our members, the bird watchers who are members of BirdLife South Africa, also contribute financially to our cause. Apparently, it's a growing hobby as we speak. People are joining in their droves to be bird watchers. And we all know a number of bird watchers, of which I have to confess I'm not yet. <laughs> so Give, give you time. <laughs> okay. So you've got lots of people joining in. And it's interesting because it is a fast-growing pastime. It's apparently now on par with golf and gardening in the USA as the three most popular hobbies. In South Africa as well, and just in the last few years, we've seen a, you know, an unprecedented growth in bird watching, and very interestingly, amongst young people as well. We we don't understand this growth in bird watching amongst young people. You know, sort of teenagers and people in their their twenties. But it is um, certainly a growing pastime. I just want to ask you a naive question first of all. How does one actually become an expert at birding? Is it simply putting in the hours along with a good pair of binoculars and a reference book? How do you become a fanatical bird watcher? Yes, that's interesting because um, I wouldn't even know how to describe who is a fanatic or who is an expert. <laughs> but one has to start somewhere, I suppose. And just by identifying the birds in your garden is a way in which you can progress. And you know, acquiring a bird book and a pair of binoculars as well is really important. And also joining one of our affiliated bird clubs, because most of the bird clubs have very regular um, meetings. They've been online during COVID, but also outings and workshops as well. And the bird clubs have very experienced bird watchers, so who could help you know, teach you um, a new bird or about birds. But it's relatively easy. Some of our birds are very conspicuous, very obvious, very colorful. Mm -hmm. And you know, for beginner birders, it doesn't take long before you're actually fairly proficient at identifying some of the birds. 
Is it competitive? Do people become competitive among themselves and among the clubs? It's very competitive. It's really quite interesting, it? yes. So there's lots of <coughs> challenges. There's a Western Cape Challenge, a Gauteng Challenge, Eastern Cape Challenge, and where the bird watchers each year compete to see who can see the most birds. And you know, just at BirdLife South Africa, we have a staff challenge every year. And one of our staff, Andrew de Bloch, saw over 600 species in South Africa this year. So it is competitive. But very importantly, um, the birds that are recorded in these competitions are recorded using an app called Bird Lassa. And as you record your observations in Bird Lassa, which gives the precise position that the bird was seen, that's also um, added to a database. Um, and those records are important for the work that we do is to analyze distributions and changes in distributions and actually determine the relative abundance of birds, and it helps advise our conservation work. So it also must be very exciting if a new bird species is seen, you know, adding a notch to your um, bedpost, as it were. That's right. And, you know, we, we the more serious bird watchers are called twitchers, and twitchers are the people that would you know, fly around the country, drive around the country to go and see a bird species which hasn't been recorded before or recorded mm-hmm. very seldom. And, um, you know, it's a little bit controversial, I suppose, amongst you know, some people because it's not good for one's carbon footprint when you get an airplane to go and twitch a bird. <laughs> but one of the nice things about it, it is, can really boost local economies. Birds have turned up at very remote places and the little towns and villages have done really well financially out of, you know, the guests, the birders who've, yes, the who've birds actually come, in, yes. come to see this bird. Yes. Oh, right. And I understand that the real bird boffins categorize the importance of their sightings. While some can be quite mundane for them, they spot the occasional bird. They refer to it as a lifer. That's right. A lifer is a bird you've seen for the very first time. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. And, um, so there are there are twitchers. You get twitchers who record their birds within our country, and we have a South Africa Listers Club. You can actually get little badges from BirdLife South Africa when you've got to 300 species or 600 species. Oh, right. And then people, a lot of people also record the species they've seen um, globally as well. So they'll have a global life list. So people keep these lists, and some of them are very uh, meticulous at keeping these lists. They all, you know, spreadsheets, and they. And also, they don't add a, a bird species willy-nilly. You know, you've got to have really seen it very w- well for um, to add it, actually add it to your list. Okay, now I'm intrigued to know what music you've chosen, and of, maybe it has something to do with birds. Mark, what is your first piece of music? Well, it's um, it was a movie about flamingos called The Crimson Wing, um, and flamingos are very special to me. I've dedicated most of the last 30 years of my life to studying and conserving them, um, the lesser flamingo in particular which although probably the most abundant flamingo in the world is one of the most threatened, and it's partly because they only breed at four places in the world, literally, two places in South Asia occasionally. And so the, the population is in decline, but there's, they're just absolutely magnificent birds. They, there's so many interesting things about them, the way they move around nomadically, are able to you know, determine somehow where water has become available and food has become available. They occur and breed in very remote places, um, Lake Natron in northern Tanzania, the most important site, you know, very highly saline water. The water surface, the temperatures rise to probably in the 50 degrees. So, and they're, obvious, they're really very really attractive birds as well. So, <laughs> very special birds to me. Enthusiasm. Yeah. So, is this music from that film? That's right. And it's uh, just tracks that we, uh, my wife and I really enjoy. And we actually had a webcam up at. Um, Campus Dam, it's where we established a breeding island for lesser flamingos, the first artificial island on which flamingos, lesser flamingos had ever bred. And we had a webcam, and uh, my wife, Tanya, recorded some of the, the footage. 
and she put some of this on on our website and she actually used some of the tracks as well um, and it's just very appropriate some of this music um to um to the species as well so it's really yeah just and it describes their their wonderful behavior and it's not just the fact that they you know they fly around they fly extensively they can fly very far at night but also when they're breeding they move around in unison with do this head flagging displays and lifting their wings as well and the, the music really suits the the behavior that is shown in this uh, really excellent documentary
There you are. That's music from the Crimson Wing, Mystery of the Flamingos, from a documentary. And it's first choice of my guest on People of Note this week, who is Mark Anderson, who is the CEO of BirdLife South Africa. Mark, I wanted to ask you, we mentioned partnerships and all that. Tell me a little bit about the partnerships that BirdLife has and its equivalent both in South Africa and around the world. Okay, so there are about 120 BirdLife South Africa's around the world and all part of the BirdLife International Partnership. And the reason why there is a partnership is because, obviously, the the organization is trying to conserve birds, Mm. but because birds are migratory and nomadic, you can't conserve them in isolation. So as a a partnership of 120 organizations that achieve and undertake really important work, we work together. There's There's a common strategy that's developed, and revised every four or five years. We undertake to implement that strategy in our respective countries, but the important thing is that you've got to work together to conserve birds which don't recognize international boundaries. It's interesting because the more you speak, the more I realize what a big organization BirdLife South Africa must be with a fairly large staff, lots of research. It's a, it's a big business, can I say. It is. It's and a very professional organization. We have about 40 staff. I think 11 or 12 of our staff have PhDs. We employ a chartered accountant. Uh, We have an environmental lawyer. She actually has a PhD in environmental law. It's a very professional team of of people who work together to undertake our goals and and objectives, which is to conserve South Africa's birds and their habitats. Where where are you based? So our head office is in Johannesburg. We do have uh, about a dozen staff down in Cape Town as well because our seabird conservation program staff are based here. But most of our staff are at our head office in Dunkel West in Johannesburg. Mm -hmm. Gosh, you realize all that's going on. But now, one of the things I want to ask you is perhaps what is the biggest threat to birds as far as you can tell? So one of them is, you know, just land use change, habitat deterioration. We're losing our habitat very quickly, whether it is through developments, you know, urbanization, mining, agriculture or just general degradation, you know, whether it's through overgrazing or you know, pollution or climate change, but we, you know, less and less habitat is available to birds. And we're actually able to track that because we have a project, the Southern African Bird Atlas Project. We partner with the University of Cape Town, and we determine the distributions of birds. You can actually see how the distributions are changing as the land use um, is changing. So that is a, a massive threat to, to birds. But there are many other threats. But that's the one that concerns us most. And I'm glad to hear that you are involved. You're sort of on top of it almost of, of these dangers. And therefore, you are able to do something about it or some sort of intervention, presumably. That's right. And that's, you know, one of the important things is to determine where you focus your energy, where you focus your efforts. Mm. And we as a scientific organization and also working in collaboration with scientists at other academic institutions, you know, several universities in South Africa, we can actually determine which are the most important threats and we can then address those. So, for example, you know, the fisheries, the trawl and longline fisheries are threats to albatrosses and other seabirds, and we know that. Once you start implementing mitigation measures to start addressing those threats, you need to continue your monitoring because you need to know whether that monitoring that has been implemented has been effective in in, um, reducing the threat and reversing the negative population trend that had previously been observed. My goodness. Now, you mentioned just now an app and what you've been doing. Has social media changed the sort of world of bird watching and birding? It has. It's interesting. You know, we, we... as BirdLife South Africa, very active on social media. We have a Facebook group. We have about, I think, 60,000 members. 
and a Facebook page which has about 25,000 members. And you know, people are posting images, dozens and dozens mm-hmm. of images every day of you know, birds they've seen in their garden or they've seen in the Kruger National Park and elsewhere. So social media is, is very important. But I suppose for us, we're making use of social media quite extensively because we're able to reach other audiences, non-traditional audiences. Because a lot of BirdLife South Africa members are elderly, you know, they're white, um, live in urban areas, some of them you know, fairly wealthy. But, you know, we'd like to be as representative as possible. So it's really important for us to to reach younger people, people from other demographic groups. And that's been done partly through social media. Mm-hmm. Someone told me uh, a little anecdote that if somebody spots something and posts it on social media platform, in no time there's a traffic jam and a general bun fight to get a good look. Is, this, is there an element of truth in that? <laughs> it's quite interesting to see some <laughs> of the photographs of all of the birders at some of these twitches. You know, twitch being uh, you know an, a species of vagrant bird that's turned up somewhere. Mm. And within hours, because of social media and WhatsApps, uh, and the, the, which alert people about the presence of this bird, yeah. you would probably get a traffic jam. And I've seen photographs. <laughs> Of uh, you know, this poor bird has got you know, sort of fifty spotting scopes and maybe a hundred pairs of binoculars looking down on it and uh, carrying on its business, feeding and whatever else it's doing, and then have be, you know being watched by so many bird watchers. Is there? Do we have a huge range of bird life here in South Africa? Are we richly endowed with bird bird species? We are. We have over eight hundred and seventy species. Wow. And there's about 10,000 in the world, so I think about 8%, 9% of the world's birds are found in our country. There's a number of species which are found here and nowhere else. So in a, the Western Cape is actually particularly important because there's a number of what we call Feinbos endemics. So the orange-breasted uh, sunbird, for example, the Cape Rock Jumper, are two species of quite a few that occur in the Feinbos and nowhere else in the world. So the twitches and the people who have life lists we spoke about earlier, they would come to the Western Cape and come to the Feinbos, particularly to see those bird species. Gosh. Now, we're going to have another piece of music, Mark, and you've asked for a second piece, the dance from this uh, documentary, The Crimson Wing, The Mystery of the Flamingos. Again, is this because you just find this music evocative, enjoyable? Well, for anybody who's watched the movie, the documentary, um, and seen these birds with their courtship displays, will you know i think appreciate the music as well because it's just um yeah it's kind of i mean the birds with, with these displays the head flagging and the walking around in unison is just so characteristic of the species and it's just one of the most beautiful sights but listening to, to the music as well not only hearing the sounds of the birds makes it particularly special
That's another piece from the documentary The Crimson Wing Mystery of the Flamingos, a choice of my guest on People of Note here on Fine Music Radio this week, who is Mark Anderson, the CEO of Bird Life South Africa. I meant to ask you when we had the other piece, Mark, what do you mean by the lesser flamingo and the greater flamingo? Is it size or colors or what distinguishes them? So it's the two species that occur in Africa. The greater, as the name suggests, is larger. It's also paler. And it has a light bull with a dark tip. The, gr- the lesser flamingo, the smaller species, is much pinker, and it has a dark bull. So do they can, flock together? Like if you see them standing in a lake, would they be greater and lesser, or do they tend to stay together? You can find both together, but they prefer a different habitat. They, in fact, have different diets. Uh-huh. The lesser flamingo mainly eats blue-green algae, also called cyanobacteria, whereas the greater flamingo eats uh, crustaceans, things like brine shrimps. Okay. It's a beautiful sight, isn't it? Um, Seeing flamingos all together on a lake or on an island or something. It's one of nature's beautiful sights. Yes. And I, you know, when I've I've been very fortunate to travel a bit, Hmm. and uh, Lake Nakuru National Park, not far from Nairobi, has a little viewpoint where you look down on on Lake Nakuru, and it could be 100,000 lesser flamingos on the lake. And I've stood there alongside people from all over the world on the few times I've stood up on this viewpoint. And it has been absolutely blown away by the spectacle of 100,000 flamingos. 100,000. Yes. Good grief, yeah. imagine seeing that. I want to just ask you briefly, Mark, something about yourself. I mean, you mentioned your fascination with the flamingo from years back. But how did you get into this? How did birds capture your life? Well, i am sort of been very privileged. Grew up in Pretoria, and I had a grandfather who loved nature. And he had a few properties around the old Transvaal mm-hmm. province. And being the eldest grandson, I used to travel with him to pay wages and do work on these these properties. And he always traveled with a bird book and a pair of binoculars. And I, as a young child, used to watch birds with him. And when we saw something or heard something we didn't know, we would then spend a bit of time trying to identify it. So it was really through him, I suppose, that I developed the interest. Mm -hmm. And now it's your life, really, isn't it? It's been interesting. It's to make one's hobby, I suppose, one's Mm. pastime. I did study zoology. I got a few degrees from the University of Pretoria. And uh, I was employed as the nature conservation ornithologist in the Northern Cape for about 20 years. And then moved to Birdlife South Africa 13 years ago. And now you're the CEO. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just returning to uh, bird life and the business side of it, Mark, you've got a number of successes. A number of your projects have been hugely successful. But one that appeals to me is the Mouse Free Marion Project. Just tell me a bit about that. Okay, that project, you know, we're raising the money. You know, we have a team we've employed. We're doing all the planning. But the project will be implemented in 2024, so a few years' time. It's a massive project. It's the biggest project that BirdLife South Africa has ever undertaken and will probably ever undertake. It's a project that's going to cost you know, 200 million rand. Gosh. So it's a massive project. It'll be involved you know, using the SA Gullis, probably five helicopters, um, bait that'll be dropped on the island um, during the winter of 2024. And the reason why we want to eradicate the mice from Marion Island is they're wreaking havoc on the seabirds. They're literally eating the seabirds alive probably eating hundreds of thousands of eggs, chicks, and even adult seabirds, albatrosses, petrels, and other species. So the mice, unfortunately, have to go. And uh, there were, they were in fact, cats on Marion Island. They were introduced in the early part of the last century, and the cat numbers increased, and there were about uh, 2,500 cats eventually, wow. and those were removed. The cats were having an effect on the birds I'm on the sure. island. They were, they were actually killing about 400,000 petrels a year. 
Now, the cats are gone, uh, and the mice are playing, <laughs> and the mice are wreaking havoc on the seabirds of the island, on the island. So it's a project we're undertaking with the South African Department of um, Envi- uh, Forestry, Fisheries, and Environment, as well as uh, University of Cape Town, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, and other organizations. But it is really an important project, and probably the most important thing I'll do in my lifetime. Really, as big as that, a big thing. Apparently 10,000 albatrosses a year in South Africa's trawl fishery have been saved as a result of intervention from BirdLife South Africa. That's right. About 15 years ago, we realized that the trawl fishery, the hake fishery essentially, was having an impact, um, an inadvertent impact on albatrosses and other seabirds. Hmm. So we set up something called the Albatross Task Force in South Africa. BirdLife South Africa employed a few people to actually study the problem to determine you know, the extent of the mortalities. It was that stage that we determined that over 10,000 albatrosses were being killed in our waters a year. They actually fly into the cables of the nets, the warp cables. Oh, gosh. And uh, so the, the mortalities were extensive. We then tested a few mitigation devices. We were essentially just streamers off the back of what we call Tory lines, either side of the nets. And the birds, the albatrosses, don't fly into this area. There's just too much disturbance for them. And as a result of this relatively simple intervention, we've saved the lives of 10,000 albatrosses a year. And this has been maintained consistently over the last um, more than a decade. And also about 200,000 hectares of grassland and estuary habitat protected in the past two years as a result, again, of BirdLife South Africa intervention. That's right. And, you know, if you look at the relatively small area that's being added to the conservation estate every year by national parks and by some of the provincial conservation agencies, you know, it's not, not extensive. But yet we're working with private landowners to conserve in places which are important for not only birds but for other biodiversity using something called biodiversity stewardship, where the landowner retains ownership, but he or she undertakes um, to conserve the properties in a way which benefit birds and biodiversity. And they, they sign an agreement with government. There's a management plan that's developed. Some of them even change, changes to their title deeds. And it's been an incredible success. And you know, South Africans are love the land. They love nature, and, and many landowners, farmers, are passionate about conserving our natural environment. So we focused our attention, as you mentioned, in the grasslands, because that's the area which is most threatened, and some of our really special bird species and other biodiversity occurs there, and in the estuaries, particularly estuaries in the Western Cape, and this is where we've had our successes. We've been very fortunate to have a number of donors who've supported this really, really important work. Gosh, good. As you say, South Africans love the outside. They love animals. They love birds. And then seabirds are quite different, aren't they? So that's a different discipline, I presume. That's right. Yeah, not everybody gets to see seabirds. I mean, mm. there's coastal birds, which are, many of us are familiar with, like the you know the black oyster catcher, the African oyster catcher. But I thought you were going to say a seagull, <laughs> which is the only one I think I've recognized. Well, you do. You get I mean, the kelp gull is quite common, which people know, and uh, hartlip skull. And there's a few others along the coast. Mm. But once you go out to sea, you know, there's a diversity of birds which people wouldn't be familiar with unless they actually ventured out on a boat. Mm-hmm. Many of the albatrosses and, and petrels and other species which occur there. Okay, we're going to take another piece of music, and I quite like the next piece you've chosen, Mark. It's uh, by the Italian composer Respighi, who wrote a suite called The Birds, and it's charming. So thank you for this. Here's a movement from The Birds by Respighi.
That's a movement from a suite by Ottorino Respighi called The Birds. Another choice of my guest, appropriately, Mark Anderson, who is the CEO of BirdLife South Africa. One of the things that fascinates me this is this business of migration. First of all, but before I ask you that, do we have anything here in South Africa that's specifically rare? We have um, a number of species which are rare. So BirdLife South Africa actually produces what we call a red data book every decade or so. And the current red data book, which was produced, um, published in 2015, so it's being revised at the moment. Mm. It takes a few years to revise. It lists 132 species of our 870 or so. I think it's about 15% of our birds are threatened with extinction. And the previous red data book, published in 2000, listed only 125 species. So we've added seven species to the red list in this this period. And that's, of course, those species in the red data book are the species that we focus a lot of our attention on. Tell me a little bit about migration. We always hear about birds flying north and then flying south, and the bird is such a delicate-looking creature. Um, you wonder how they do these marathon flights. It amazes me. Um, and, you know, one can understand a larger bird that's migrating, yes, you know, between yes. the Paleotic and, and Southern Africa. Things like, um, you know, lesser spotted eagles, for example, or European honey buzzards. But then you get tiny birds like willow warblers, which, you know, weigh a few grams and they undertake these long migrations. And it's, you know, to move to areas where the, you know, the climate is conducive to you know, spending a period where the food will be available. Right. So to escape the harsh climates as well to areas where there's food. But what concerns me as well is all of the hazards that these birds have to face as they migrate. You know, there's, in the Mediterranean, people still shoot birds extensively. People catch birds. They harvest them um, along the Sahel. The Sahel is getting bigger as well. There's few places where birds can stop and refuel. Wind turbines are being put up along these oh migratory gosh, routes as yes. well, and birds are flying into the wind turbines. So birds on migration face a multitude of threats. I'd never thought about wind turbines. That must be a huge problem for a migrating bird across those fields. It is, and it's an area that BirdLife South Africa has been working on in the last decade. Because we know through the atlas work that we've done, recording the, the localities of birds, we know where birds occur. We also know which birds are most vulnerable to collide with the wind turbines. So we've been working with the industry to try and advise where the best place is to erect the wind turbines. We need to move away from coal and gas, obviously, but mm -hmm. but if we're going to look at renewable energy, we, we need to ensure that the renewable energy developments, wind and solar in particular, don't have an impact on birds as well. And because we know where birds, the birds that are vulnerable to collide with the wind farms occur, we can advise the industry where to place their wind farms. The other thing that I think is quite sad, I was reading somewhere about the number of birds in cities that crash into glass buildings and kill themselves. It's becoming a, a big problem. It's a problem particularly in some of the bigger cities overseas. I know mm -hmm. North America, New York, for example, and many, many birds actually yeah, kill themselves when they, when they fly into the windows. In fact, it's a problem we have even in some homes in South Africa. At our offices in Johannesburg, we get regular calls from people saying we, we've had a collision. What do we do about it? But there are ways in which you can, you know, little cutouts of birds, you can stick in the window and make the window a little bit more um, obvious. Mm. And in fact, you know, if you just Google bird collisions with windows there's all sorts of very clever things that one can do and many of them <laughs> relatively inexpensive gosh i must have a look but these high-rise buildings that are covered in glass must be a problem for birds it is a problem and also you know those that have lights as well so you know birds may be attracted to the lights as well and then mm -hmm. collide with the buildings that are lit up so probably the best thing one can do in these very high-rise buildings 
is to switch off the lights. And many birds move around at night as well. A lot of the migratory birds are nocturnal flyers. Mm. We spoke about flamingos earlier. Flamingos fly at 60, 70 kilometers an hour. They can Whoa. cover 600, 700 kilometers um, in, a, in a single journey. Yeah. And all of that is undertaken at night. Flamingos never commute between one place and another during the day. It's all at night. Good grief. That's an interesting little clip. Yeah. I'm going to have another piece of music now for you, Mark. And you've chosen Vivaldi. Again, cleverly, you've chosen a flute concerto by Vivaldi, which depicts a bird, the goldfinch. So in Italian, it's Il Giardilino. And you'll hear what I mean, this piece that Mark has chosen with a flute tootling away. <laughs> Thank you. 
was music by Vivaldi. As you heard there very clearly, a goldfinch chirping away there on the flute. It's a flute concerto called Il Giardellino, which is Italian for the goldfinch. There are lots of classical pieces with birds in them, Mark. For example, famously, although it'd be too long to play the last few moments of Beethoven's Sixth Symphony, Second Movement, he has three birds twittering away. Very, very clearly, a quail, a cuckoo, I can't remember the other one. So birds have certainly inspired composers, as they have inspired you. And my guest is Mark Anderson, who is the CEO of BirdLife South Africa. Mark, I want to ask you something that appeals to me because I love the ocean. You're doing a voyage to Marion Island, aren't you, very soon? We are, this month, in fact. Uh, yeah, January. That's right. We leave on the 24th of January and re- from Cape Town and return to Durban on the 31st. We have uh, about 1,700 bird watchers on the ship. 1,700? That's right, yes. So if you're not a bird watcher, probably not the <laughs> place to be. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what sort of ship do you use? It's one of the MSC ships, the MSC Orchestra. So oh, the it's big a cruise ones, ship. Yeah, and yeah. it's the third such cruise that we're doing. And this is you know, more successful. We've got more people interested in it because we're going into the Southern Ocean. In, yeah, very close to Marion Island, and no cruise ship has ever been there. So we'll be going through the Roaring Forties. Good grief. We've got a, you know, it's be a splendid week at sea. We've got 40 bird guides from around the world who will be on deck, you know, pointing out any birds we see. Uh, Professor Ken Finley, who's the whale and dolphin expert, will also be with us as well to, to point out any interesting cetaceans and uh, other marine mammals that we see. So it's full-on birding crews, so there'll be lo- talks, presumably, and lectures and things like that, apart from just looking at birds. That's right. We, we have um, – there's a very large theatre on the ship, and um, the capacity, because of COVID, has been reduced to 620 people in the, in the theatre. But we have a program of lectures through the day and into the evening, and people like Peter Harrison, who's the world expert in seabirds, will be joining us. The third oh, time goodness. he's coming across to South Africa to join us, and he gives um, – just absolutely superb lectures on albatrosses and petrels. And 170 times he's been to the um, Antarctic. You know, he, he talks about that. So it's very exciting. You know, the, the birding, the, the, um, the lectures, obviously the cuisine is very nice, uh, yes, lovely food. And then <laughs> the camaraderie. Envious, yeah. But then do you also get a chance to view ocean birds, seabirds? That's all we do. It's yeah. just watching oh, Of course, that's all you do. It's yeah. all you can do. And we should, I mean, we... We see 30, 40 different species, some of them really interesting, some of them kind of unique to these areas that we'll be visiting. And so very exciting. And, of course, the twitches and the listers will be um, <laughs> They're in force. twitching, yes, <laughs> to see all of these unusual species. So, are, you yeah, going to, are you going to get off on Marion Island? No, we're not allowed to. Um, and oh, aren't it, you? No, it's um, only, you know, it's only you've got to have research projects and um, you know, be involved in the, the weather station to sort of access the island. 
but also because we're so many people, even if we were able to obtain permission, it'll be logistically really difficult to you know, take 1,700 or so people onto the island. Onto the small island. Yeah. And what is the purpose of, uh, of the cruise? So there's you know, a few purposes. One is we create opportunities for bird watchers to visit nice places, and it raises the profile of BirdLife South Africa. But really importantly with this one is because we're going to be undertaking the Mouse Free Marion Project in 2024, we'll be you know, eradicating mice from Marion Island that having a you know, severe detrimental impact on the seabird population. Mm. We'll be raising funds for the project during the cruise, and we hope to raise a few million rand. Good grief. And you say you've got 1,700 people. That's right. Gosh, that's amazing. And when is it? Give us the dates. If someone wants to go on this cruise, what do they do? You're not full, are you? No, we're not full. There is, in fact, space. So the dates are 24th to the 31st of January. And if anybody's interested, the best thing to do is just email BirdLife South Africa, info at birdlife.org.za, and it'll get to the right person. Okay. Is that, by the way, the address that people need to go to if they want to find out more about BirdLife South Africa, what you do, who's involved, projects, and all that? So we have a fantastic website, and the address is birdlife.org.za. People can go there, and they can read all about the work that we do. But if anybody has any questions or comments, if they're interested in you know, flock to Marion, this cruise to to the Southern Ocean, they can just email info at birdlife.org.za. Gosh. And are you looking forward to a good, successful year now that we're into 2022? I mean, it sounds as though it's a story of success, BirdLife South Africa. Yes, um, we are. Um, COVID's wreaked havoc on, you know, on con- us, conservation yes. NGOs and fundraising is more difficult. We've done, we've done well. We've had to work harder to find the funding that we need. But, yeah, the planet's in crisis. Um, you know, we're seeing biodiversity loss, habitat destruction, so we have more and more to do. It's quite an onerous responsibility as the only dedicated bird conservation organization in the country to have 870 species, you know, so future sort of resting on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. So we have a big job ahead. It's all about leaving you know, an environment that still has biodiversity and has birds for future generations to enjoy. That's really what we're doing. I mean, our work is of an altruistic nature. It's not about conserving birds for us. It's about conserving birds for future generations. Excellent. And has climate change had a big impact? We are seeing the the changes. Um, Climate change, I think the the main changes will be seen in time to come. But already through the work that we do do, the monitoring work with the Southern African Bird Atlas Project, we can see that migration dates, arrival dates, and departure dates are changing. So there's subtle changes that are taking place there already. We are worried about some of the bird species that that have more specific habitat requirements and, and more localized distributions because if the climate does change and affects the vegetation, where they're going to escape to. So it makes it really important and difficult for us to model where our conservation areas, where our important bird areas and key yeah. biodiversity areas should be located. They've yeah. got to be up the hill. Because you know, the vegetation and the insects and the birds may have to move up the hill to, to sort of cooler climbs. It may be you know, down the valley. So we work very closely with you know, modelers who have knowledge about climate change and have some sort of idea about how things are going to, how different things are going to be in future so that we can not only conserve the habitat for the birds today, but also in decades to come when things are going to be quite different. And Mark, with the organization BirdLife South Africa, are you training people up to people? I see, as you said, you've got a fairly big staff. You've got doctors, professors, scientists. Are you training people up to take over from you and to be part of this organization? We do. So we work very closely with academic institutions, and one of them being the 
Fitzpatrick Institute of African Ornithology at the University of Cape Town, and they have uh, you know, they train ornithologists. So we actually recruit into our organisation oh, a number okay. of those ornithologists, um, particularly the students who do the, um, the the conservation biology master's degree. But we have an internship program. In fact, this week we had three new interns start at BirdLife South Africa. Our interns are all black, and uh, we recruited really top interns over the year. They all go on to great things. Mm. Our internship program has been one of our successes, and it's been really encouraging to see that the positions they've occupied once they've uh, left BirdLife South Africa. And of course, you know, we take our internship program very seriously, and our interns leave BirdLife South Africa so much more knowledgeable about bird conservation. What a, what a company, BirdLife South Africa. I just want to end, because I'm going to say goodbye to you now, Mark, with a bumper sticker. I always chuckle when I see the bumper sticker on a car identifying the driver as a bird watcher, warns fellow motorists that he or she is prone to sudden stops. <laughs> have you seen that? If they see a bird. That's right. So a good deal of humor around. Bird watchers clearly have a sense of humor as well. They do, and they like to have fun. And that's why the flock to Marion cruise uh, later this month is going to be so nice. Oh, that sounds Because wonderful. the camaraderie of 1,700 people is just incredible. All with the, exa- the same passion and interest. And when we're not watching birds during the day or attending the lectures, we have a glass of wine and maybe even a whiskey. Good grief of whiskey. <laughs> well, I'm going to be a stowaway. How about that? <laughs> Well, I've been talking to Mark Anderson, who is the CEO of BirdLife South Africa. And just a reminder that it is birdlife.org.za is your website. That's right. Okay, so if you want to become a bird watcher, if you want to find out more, go to the website. And also there there are lots of fascinating bits and pieces on the website as well. And you can hear about the staff. You were going to say something, Mark. Yes, we produce what's probably was considered one of the world's best bird and birding magazines called African Bird Life, six mm. issues a year. It's available in retail, but you can also receive it as a membership benefit. Now, the membership fee that one pays, some of that goes towards conservation. People worry about the non-delivery of magazines. We actually use a courier service now, a very cheap courier service, very reliable service. So I encourage people to become a member of Bird Life South Africa. Through the membership, you're helping conserve birds for future generations, but you get one of the world-class bird and birding magazines. And I can vouch for that because you've given me one, and it is a beautiful magazine with the most extraordinary pictures and quality of paper and all that. So there's a way to help this extraordinary organization. We're going to go out with some music by Tchaikovsky from Swan Lake. And I know Swan's pushing it a bit, but um, and they're not endemic to South Africa. But nonetheless, just to keep our bird theme going, here's some music from Swan Lake by Tchaikovsky. Mark Anderson, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. Thank you.